Hello and welcome to the first episode of Laying Down the Lore, a weekly, fortnightly or monthly podcast depending on our schedules, in which we aim to separate our ghouls from our goblins, our snotlings from our skaven storm fiends, and our bone splitters from our beast claw raiders, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer stuff? My name is Ben Crone Barber and I know fuck all about Warhammer. With me is my co-host, Christopher Crallen Allen, who also knows fuck all about Warhammer. Very true. And my dear brother Darren, hello, who knows so much about Warhammer, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. After gathering online to slay some vermin in the name of Sigmar, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. Educators, Darren. <laughs> right, so, where are we starting? How does this work? What's a Warhammer? <laughs> <laughs> and where can I get one from? So Chris, you know a bit about fantasy, don't you? Uh, I do. I've been a fantasy fan for many years, played many games, a bit of D&D, World of Warcraft, and I played a bit of Warhammer uh, on various platforms, but know nothing about the lore. Um, Can just relate to the kind of hack and slash good and evil battle. So yeah, would love to learn a bit more. So you're pretty ignorant. Pretty ignorant. I mean, I'm ignorant. I don't know about pretty. <laughs> but how ignorant are you of Warhammer? <laughs> oh, man. I mean... I, what you I don't know about Warhammer of, could fill books. Yeah. The definition of ignorance is that you don't know. So I don't know what I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I think so, the definition yeah. of ignorance is not knowing when you should know. And I think what we decided while playing Vermintide was that you should know. <laughs> I should know too. But we don't. And here we are publicizing our ignorance. Darren, a few years ago, you gave me the first like 20 books of the Horus Heresy series, which I was done with them. It, well, indeed. They, they were in remarkably good nick, I have to say. Yeah, it was like you read them from a distance or something. <laughs> Shouted um, them at you. <laughs> Once upon a time. <laughs> <laughs> and no, uh, I'm in love with audiobooks. So what I did was I got my kids to read them to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, obviously I know that's 40k and not necessarily what we're, we're jumping into now. But um, yeah, it certainly piqued my interest. And uh, yeah, Vermintide. Bit of hack and slash fun. Mm. Had no idea who I was or who I was mm. fighting or why we were all there but you know Vermintide on PlayStation seems like a game for the Warhammer fans like I went in there I was quite comfortable with the concept of fighting off hordes of evil Scarven and yeah it kind of made sense but I didn't have any context do you know what I mean there were just lots of rats also I think you called them Scarven which I mean Skaven well there we go (laughs) there we go (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was going to let that slide. Is there a correct pronunciation for Skaven? Do you say Skaven? scone or um, scone? Most people just use Skaven. Mm. I mean, it's what appears in the official audiobooks and stuff. Mm. So, I mean, I think you've already kind of demonstrated the dichotomy <laughs> in levels of understanding that we referenced in the intro. Um, what's the deal? Like, how do you know so much about this shit? I think I, it really started for me when I got the Fantasy in the 40k rule books for Christmas in 1987. And I think my life path was set from there, as was my emotional age. So I was four when you got that book. I know. I painted you green and used you as a toy soldier. (laughs) (laughs) That explains a lot. I think I'm actually wearing green right now. (laughs) It's one of my favorite colors. Right. So, Dar, how are we? uh, How are we going about this? What's What's the crack? I thought the most logical way to approach it was to 
define when people say Warhammer, what is it they actually mean? And in general, it refers to either three or four distinct worlds under the word Warhammer run by Games Workshop out of Nottingham. So you're looking at the Warhammer fantasy world, which is the one we're focusing on, as I understand it, for the foreseeable future. And that was created, or it existed, in quotes, between 1983 and 2015, when it was summarily blown up. Uh, to make way for the Age of Sigmar. As you do. But it means that there was 30, 32 years of quite aggressive development and, or would you say, retconning of previous histories to bring it to the kind of really crunchy, detailed setting that it was. So when people say Warhammer, they either mean the fantasy world, they do sometimes mean Warhammer 40k, which is the science fiction version. It's a distinct, separate thing Although there have been a couple of references, mostly in Chaos Codexes, I think the fourth or fifth edition, which stated that there was a planet in the Imperium of Man that strongly resembled the Warhammer fantasy world. Um, Can I just ask, uh, again, I'm going to kind of plead ignorance on this. What's a codex? Uh, Sorry, a codex. It's an army book for the Warhammer 40k. A manual. A manual, yeah. Right. Got it. And is that just for 40k or do you have codex for the Warhammer fantasy? Think of them as kind of faction rule books. They're not called codex and they were called army books in fantasy. They were called codex in 40k. The Age of Sigmar, which is the, the new child in their Warhammer family, which was created after the destruction of the old world from the old Warhammer world. They use the term battle tome. Nice. But it's effectively the same thing. It's a a complete guide to factions, including rules, painting guides, that kind of thing, and lore. Mm. So that's kind of three main ones. The fourth one, I'm still kind of uh, on the fence about whether it is its own setting or not. I think it is, is Blood Bowl. Mm. Blood Bowl is set in an alternate reality Uh. of the already fictitious reality of the Warhammer fantasy world. Um, I've had a bit of experience with Blood Bowl, as Ben would uh, (laughs) attest to. Disappointing experience, but that's a different topic. But it seems like Blood Bowl is like a spin-off. Do you want to explain what that disappointing experience was, Chris? Yeah, um, we, you, me, and our good friend Tom Lawton had a weekend planned of gaming, some PS gaming. And for whatever reason, it took us a long time to actually get sat down and and to game. I think one of the reasons was because we sat down with a PlayStation, realized we've got no multiplayer games that you can play on a single PlayStation with three of us. So we went out and Ben spotted Blood Bowl and we thought, oh, that'll do. looks like a, a team game. And it was, it was just, no. Nah. Nah. It was a bit droll. Yeah, yeah. But um, I was convinced convinced that it was going to be the best thing ever and we were all going to have an amazing Oh, we should know that your choice of computer games is is questionable, (laughs) isn't it? It's shocking. It really is. It really is. You'll be delighted to hear that Blood Bowl uh, 3rd edition for the PC and whatever console you like is coming out shortly. So you can relive those golden days. (laughs) (laughs) Disappointment all over again. But I would say, yeah, the word that comes to mind for Blood Bowl is spin-off. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it's all, 
you know, if 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 you're looking at the kind of idea of multiverses, Blood Bowl, the universe of Blood Bowl, span off to use your term from Warhammer Fantasy when the large book of Nuffle, who is the god of Blood Bowl, was discovered, replacing all forms of mass combat with effectively fantasy American football. And so, well, that, so got, that, what's, what's the god called? Nuffle, N-U-F-F-L-E. Nuffle. So he he kind of brought a bit of a bit of civility, a bit of peace. Peace. Yeah. Uh, he said, yeah, like, no I more fighting. So. We're gonna play games instead. We're gonna have a sports day. Yeah, pr- <laughs> pretty much. It is. It's effectively um dueling, but on the sports grounds. I mean, if you read the Blood Bowl novels, they're great reads. Um it's absolutely hysterical. It's like a mixture between Lord of the Rings with a bit of Conan the Barbarian and some healthy doses of the Carry On movies. So outside of the Blood Bowl arena, then is is the world effectively at peace? Is there is you know? Oh they're, no, they're I, not- I I think there's still the occasional war or conflict that goes on, but it's not the kind of cataclysmic, constant fight for survival that marks out the the Warhammer fantasy world just as we go forward when i'm using the say warhammer or warhammer world i'm referring exclusively to the fantasy world that the fantasy battle game was set in mm-hmm. right, gotcha. okay. and is that is that I, I think i've heard you mention it's also called the old world no uh, the old world is sort of analogous to medieval europe the old world is an area within the Warhammer world. But um, yeah, Warhammer fantasy, so the fantasy of the Warhammer world, it's important to keep in mind that it's a setting. It's a place where stories happen rather than a story in and of itself being told and retold. So gotcha. for the past 25, 30 years, it's constantly been around about the year 2520 in the imperial calendar of the human empire. So every time an edition comes out, some aspects are either retconned or some aspects are progressed very slightly, but it's usually kept within the the same time frame. So, it, I mean, it, the best way to put it, I suppose, is it's constantly two minutes to midnight in Warhammer World. Mm, okay. Right, okay. So uh, getting on to what it looks like, if you can imagine our world... Gently smashed with a hammer, gently, you lay over our own kind of cultural myths and legends, just a gentle drizzle. A garnish. You garnish it. Well, no, you garnish it with a fine layer of uh, Tolkien. Ah, um, and that's, yes. a, that's effectively what it looks. So it's, a map of it looks like a kind of strange map of Earth. I had a quick look. I viewed a couple of intro videos to Warhammer Fantasy. Oh, you cheater. I cheated. And yeah, the first thing I noticed, the map of the old world was remarkably Earth-like. The way that the regions in the world are divided up leans itself very much to our political and cultural setup. Yeah, uh, it was very much, I think- You're when still they- ignorant, Chris. Don't try yeah. and prove us otherwise. <laughs> I'm yeah. trying. The thing I suppose to bear in mind is that Games Workshop was originally a miniatures company rather than a games company. And so the first two editions of Warhammer Fantasy- really didn't have that much of a setting. It was only with the advent of the kind of hardback third edition in 1987 that the setting and the lore started to be fleshed out. And one assumes, although I could be completely wrong, that it's quite easy to choose the path of least resistance and, you know, say, okay, it's like our world, but not. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I suppose that also, I guess, gives it the additional advantage of being relatable. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm. The kind of hooks into cultural identity and political maneuvering, they're endless. And it's one of these things that's made it such a beloved setting. Mm. So how um, how are we diving into this then? Are we... Where do you even start trying to you know wrap your head around the colossus that is the Warhammer Fantasy IP? Well, I think that the the most logical way is to to have a look back at the kind of collective prehistory of the the cultures as written down in the army books and rule books and supplements. The codec. Um, no, no, Fortigate. No. Bad Chris. Oh. Bad Chris. <laughs> Wrong. Jesus. Pay attention. I've learned do we, nothing. Do we, <laughs> I'm going to get a rolled up newspaper. Hang on. Um, the Warhammer world, the actual physical world, has always existed within the lore. There is no discussion of its creation apart from kind of factional and cultural gods and, and myths. But what is objectively known in terms of in universe lore is that roughly. 18,000 years before present, so effectively 15,000 years before the Empire was formed, the mysterious Old Ones arrived. Ooh! Ooh! And, and they're really, the detail about them can fit on a postcard. There really isn't that much developed for them. And I, I kind of like the mystery. There's just this deus ex machina that comes in, messes with stuff, and then moves on. It um, sounds like lazy filler script writing to me. <laughs> uh, the mysterious old ones will do. Yeah, they're about five yeah. foot two. Brown. A air. wizard did it. <laughs> In the lore, um, the old ones were traveling. It doesn't say through what. I'm, I'm just going to assume space and came across this kind of virginal, untouched world that they thought had lots of potential. It had one massive continent surrounded by ocean, obviously. And ha- while it did have some sentient life, they were really proto-sentient more than anything else. So they, they, there were emerging cultures, but not kind of strongly so. Question? Yes. Was that their thing? Did they just kind of cruise around the cosmic universe and just go, hmm, that looks not ripe for civilization and life they may have done this is one of the things is that no one really knows i mean they do touch on the old ones quite heavily in 40k and it is inferred that they created the webway Mm. that the eldar use and were the great enemy of the necrons who've with the recent edition of 40k being released have come back in force Mm. Mm. Um, okay so yeah so they felt that the world was viable as a base or as a retreat, again, it's not entirely clear. The thing that is important is that there was no chaos at that time, so it was Mm -hmm. not infected by the, in quotes, power of evil. Chaos, that sounds like a topic on its own, so that sounds Oh, yeah, oh, by miles. Okay, okay. Um, Hold on to that thought, okay. So they wanted to terraform the planet to make it more in keeping with their own preferences, so they created the SLAN, who are the giant terror frogs of doom. Mm. So these were enormous frogs, extremely powerful wizards, who don't walk anywhere and are carried around or float on stone palanquins so that they can get from A to B. But they effectively just sit still, contemplate the universe, and use enormous magics to rip apart armies, civilizations, that kind of thing. Wow. So with the old ones, they adjusted 
the distance between the planet and its sun, so they changed the orbital path, they changed the tilt of the planet's axis, and then split the single mega continent into effectively what the Warhammer world looks like today, give or take a few floods. So while the old ones were traveling, uh, the Slan were in charge and so needed to extend their reach. So they created, again, I think with the old ones, a race of um, helpers, in quotes. So you're looking at, this is the lizard men. So you had the Saurus warriors, which were, they were exclusively bred for war. The skinks, who were kind of priests, architects, and scribes. Then you had the builders, which were the kind of hulking bipedal alligators called the Croxagore. Rawr. The slan and <laughs> with the slan and their army, they they went about taming the world. This was all part of the old one's great plan, as it's referred to, which was set down in golden sacred plaques, which adorned the sides of these ziggurats, because the civilization is very much based on Aztec and Mayan culture of our own world. While the Slan and the Lizardmen were helping to tame the newly broken up Warhammer world, the old ones set about building what's called the Polar Gates. These were enormous Sorry, machines. before we before we go on yep. to that, can I have a few questions? Go for it. Was I know you say that there was very little known about the old ones. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm guessing that's more to do with their origins and where they came from. But is there is there any information about why? They were doing all of this. Um, like, no, I well, mean you they, would, wouldn't they, you? I mean, I mean, if you could, the power to create and destroy worlds and universes and shit, you wouldn't just smoke pot and play computer games, would you? I mean, yeah, I mean, if I could wield the power of flange, I would also do it. <laughs> back on, back on topic. I've got a question. It seemed like this game. Hold on, hold on. Just... My question didn't get answered. <laughs> go on, go on. I will step Easy down. Tiger. Sorry, sorry. So sorry. yeah, so yeah. Is, is, is there any, yeah, why? <laughs> uh, no, uh, you can kind of infer that they did have an empire, that it was expanding, uh, and that they perhaps thought that the Warhammer world looked like a good place to have a base. If you tie in the early setting lore of Warhammer 40k, it does suggest that it was populated it, if you assume that the the pla it is a planet within the 40k universe as well that it, the old ones were in the midst of their great war with the necrons which is the referred to mm. as the war in heaven in 40k but as i say there's only one or two suggested links between the the universes as it were and it's a it's a nice thought but i don't know that it's entirely necessary to have them linked like that right okay and sorry the last thing these flans are these creations of the old ones yes they are the firstborn uh, if you will of the old ones created specifically to assist them in the construction of their planet and its ongoing management as it were it's an interesting form to take for your first species, isn't it? A frog, a big, massive frog. I don't don't know. question do the mean? old ones, Ben. Don't. That's just a <laughs> yeah. rabbit hole you don't want to go down, man. Uh, I'm never going to look at a frog in the same way. 
So well, but you said that they were kind of sitting around contemplating the universe and also tearing apart armies and continents. They don't sound particularly kind of creaty. No, most of everything they do is in line with the kind of revealed great plan of the old ones through these sacred plaques that they transcribed. It's very much a you there, you go over and destroy that city. You there, you go over and build me a new city or a tube tunnel. I don't know. Um, right. Okay. They did the mundane tasks. The old ones had bigger fish to fry. Yeah. They were like, well, we need a bunch of frogs just to do the admin, the housekeeping. They were like peons. Mm. Yeah. What is it? What is it? What do you want? Zub zub. What do you want? <laughs> These are all uh, Warcraft references for those that don't know. But anyway. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lifwreck Cattlecloak, President and CEO of Cattlecloak Farm and Fromagerie. This month's episode of Laying Down the Lower is brought to you by Dwarf Spread. Are you tired of tasteless butter made by pansy humans? Do you want a little more kick from your dairy products? Well, buckle up! Dwarf Spread is packed with vitamins, minerals including raw iron ore, good old-fashioned ale, gold dust and possibly a wee sprinkling of beard hair, as well as our very own brand of subterranean chilli. It doesn't so much give you a kick as it does full-on boot you square in the nuts. Dwarf Spread. When your balls need kicking, our butter ye be licking. Terms and conditions apply. All rights reserved. 8 out of 27 elves said, meh, it was alright. Well, if you if you think of the slan as effectively giant magical brains that they rammed into a frog's body, that's effectively what they are. <laughs> that's how I was thinking of them. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And again, this this touches on that the slan and the lizard men, they weren't the only game in town. There were protocultures. So the, the elves to some extent existed, as did the dwarves, as did humans. But what happened was that the old ones modified the races through magic or through technology. Again, it's one of those things where their technology is perhaps so advanced, you can't distinguish it from magic. Uh, so the elves who were plonked on the kind of Atlantean island of Ulthuan because perhaps of their proximity to uh, the old ones in the slan were the favoured second child. And so kind of heavily imbued with magical powers to assist the slan and the old ones. Uh, dwarves then obviously were modified and plonked down in, in what would become the old world, but mostly the, the world's edge mountains, which run like a spine from what would become the northern realm of chaos down to the tip of the Southlands, which is uh, analogous with Africa uh, in our world. And humanity then, let's just say they were generally and liberally sprinkled around the planet to kind of survive and fend for themselves. Everyone loves a liberal sprinkling. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite kind. Uh, And really many small tribes, clans, kingdoms arose over the space of about 5,000 years. Ultimately, for humans anyway, uh, showing the first strands of true civilization with a kingdom called Nehekara which is effectively Egypt. Did they start like in caves? Were they really primitive people? Or did they just like land on their feet and go, I know how to make the wheel. 
automatically. <laughs> Look, penicillin. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, I would say it's a very much a, a, a little from column A and a little from column B. I think that they were uh, very primitive versions of what they would become. And rather than having them evolve over a, a, a quite aggressive timescale, perhaps some of them were magically enhanced. Oh, giggity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay. So, uh, okay. so from the the old ones discovering and beginning to terraform the Warhammer world after about five thousand years, it looked like it does now. Strands of the civilizations that would come to kind of rule the planet were beginning to be seen. They were still a long way off. So, five thousand years after that, bang, orcs and goblins arrive, and Boom. still no no one knows exactly from where. The lore states that the two gods of the orcs, Gork and Mork, yeah, right, <laughs> planeted down into the planet from the heavens and created an entire race of stereotypical football hooligans. So, in the background, whilst the flans and the old ones and the races were all being made, you got the two ugly orc gods. I'm assuming they're ugly. Racist. Just sat there doing <laughs> nothing. I mean, the other old ones and gods should have seen this coming, gone, you know, <laughs> Mork and Mindy or whoever they were. Mork and Dork. Seeing all this glorious Mork. creation and going, hang on, hang on. We want a bit of this action. We want to bring something to the party. Look what we've made. Greenskins. <laughs> I... I very much view them as a, a kind of hangover creation. So it was definitely a, a Friday morning after a heavy Thursday night. Is it? Oh, fuck it. Okay. Gork and Mork. That's the bloody names. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like what, the old ones. Lazy script writing. <laughs> <laughs> what I love is that they're twins. So they're described as one being cunningly brutal and the other being brutally cunning. Uh, ah. that's, that's that's clever. That is wordplay. Not like their names. Yeah. <laughs> the the green skin races then for the next five thousand years just rampaged across the entire planet until the lizard men or the slan then required the Sors warriors to just go out and exterminate as many as they could, and they were quite successful at it. But obviously. The green skins still exist. And at that stage, I, I'm still a little bit unclear. Were they just generic orcs and goblins? Or were there the, the kind of savage orcs, regular orcs? Studious orcs, like researching orcs. <laughs> Peace, peaceful tree-loving orcs. Massage therapist orcs. There must have been a whole a whole array of them. Homeopathic orcs. <laughs> Keto hey, diet orcs. There's no, there's no call for hate speech, Chris. I'm not hating on the I'm not hating on the orcs. On the contrary, I like them just ruining the other guys' days. Just like there's this kind of holier than thou kind of. We are the old ones creating godlike toads, which will create civilizations and bless the men with abilities and the elves with magic. And they go, we're just going to plant some fucking orcs and fuck your day up. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the way that in your version of this, Chris, the old ones speak in Gregorian chant. <laughs> I think if he'd intersperse it with frog-like croaks, I think he'd be on the money. <laughs> he'd be pretty spot on. So was there a name for the conflict between the lizardmen and the orcs? Because what color are the lizardmen? 
Are they green as well? No. Well, they can be. They're, it depends on the old one which kind of sponsored their spawning. Most, they're more scaly than skinny, though, aren't they? Yeah, you and they're, I mean? they're mostly portrayed as being blue with other coloured highlights, kind of anything from blue to white. Beautiful plumage. Beautiful plumage. Yeah, plumage. Scaly plumage, which was the name I used to dance under. <laughs> um, that was you. So... The, so the, <laughs> <laughs> so so the world continued in its new kind of green-based paradigm for another 5,000 years, at which time the cataclysm happened, the great collapse of the gates at the top and bottom of the world. To help the old ones travel and to move from different planets, they moved through what's called the polar gates, one at the North Pole, one at the South Pole. And these were utterly gargantuan constructions uh, that dwarfed the mountains that supported them. We're talking 50, 60 miles in diameter. It allowed the old ones to travel through the warp. Now, the warp is most frequently referred to in 40K, but it does exist in the fantasy setting, it's just usually referred to as the realms of chaos. <laughs> so the gates allowed them Good to travel effect. safely. That's great. You, you've got a career ahead of you. I have got a career ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's none of your business, I. <laughs> 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 Unbroadcastable. <laughs> oh, that's making the cut, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, put his name and address on it as well, would you? That'd be funny. Okay. A disclaimer <laughs> that we had nothing to do with yeah. it. So, the realm of chaos, as it were, had a, a level of sentience and objected to being penetrated in such fashion by the old ones. So Giggity. they used to play, <laughs> play little, little. Why did you have oh, to come use on, the P someone, word? Someone had to say it. <laughs> I was trying to, I was holding it in. I, I was being that. good. I, I was being good. I was busting. Ben, uh, thanks for thanks for relieving the pressure. They're always about to pop. <laughs> Go okay. on, Darren. Go on. Sorry. Um, so these sentences, I really can't say that word. I end up saying sentences. Sentences. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sentences. Call them sandwiches. Quite, we know what you mean. Yeah. So they they started a campaign of tiny terrorism to try and disrupt not only the plans of the old ones, but their capacity to travel freely without having to interact with the bad soul soup that is the realm of chaos. May I... Um, Go ahead. I was just going to ask, the absolute massiveness of these gates, these portals, was it because the old ones were massive or that it just inherently because of the amount of energy and magics involved, they had to be huge? Which one was it? Or was it both? I think it may have actually been to do with the volume of travel that was happening. I mean, that's a big so, carbon footprint. Oh, it <laughs> really is. But there's little evidence, I suppose, that stuff was being brought into the world or out of the world but there were a lot of races during the first 10,000 years that didn't make the cut, that already mm. lived on the planet, and that mm. were wiped out by the Lizardman armies. 
survival of the fittest kind of thing. Yeah. Like, nah, you're, you're, you're going to be extinct, pal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a good question. I think maybe the, the old ones crafts the, the actual ships or vessels they traveled in may have been enormous, mm. but they themselves did not seem to be. They could make it so big, so they did. You know what I mean? It's like, fuck it. A gate that's 60 miles in diameter. Trying to picture that is like when you watch a show on about space and they say, this sun is the same size as 40 million football pitches. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what three football pitches look like together, let alone 40 million. I can't imagine a gate that's 60 miles in diameter. That's insane. Are there artists' impressions of this? Are there renderings of it? Uh, I, yeah, I'm going to try and hunt down the most evocative one and I'll put it in the show notes. I can already see parallels between Warhammer Fantasy and a lot of the games I've played. For example, Warcraft, there you've got your races, of course. They have slightly different political setups and allegiances, you know, different storylines. But again, there were cataclysms. Yeah. Or a cataclysm, which just completely shook the world and just turned it on its head. Do you know what I mean? And now it's a completely different world kind of thing. I think it it, it comes really, I'm assuming, from the constant reinvention of human myths, you know, un- unrelated to Warhammer, where there was a golden time where um, culture and life was amazing before this uh, terrible event occurred, and then suddenly all our lives are shit. Mm-hmm. Right, so can you see that picture? Yeah. Yes. So if you look at the large curved sections that are broken in two, um, oh, yeah. and all the kind of vomity watercolor style art is coming out, that's one of the polar gates at the moment it broke. Shit. Oopsie. You can see the mountain ranges in front of it, giving you a sense of scale. Mm. So, very, yeah, if you think of a couple of interlocked halo rings just mm. plonked at the north and south pole. It got, it, it, it looks fucked up. Yeah, yeah it's pretty much, I mean, you wouldn't take a city break there, that's for sure. Those no. characters look a bit H.R. Geiger-y like, don't they? Yeah, they do. well, they're unfortunately what happens when the raw stuff of chaos touches people or life in general. So they just turn into abominations. Oh, so are these actually mutated people as opposed to demons from the chaos realm? They are creatures that existed already in the Warhammer world that are being mutated by the kind of warping effects of chaos. Wow. It's pretty grim. That's really fucked up my day. (laughs) You're very, very welcome. (laughs) So no one really knows why or how the gates collapsed other than the fact that they did. There is some evidence that the old ones saw the writing on the wall because they created the sacred plaques that I've mentioned earlier, which allowed the slan and to some extent the skink priests to interpret the will of the old ones through the kind of obscure enigmatic writing on these plaques. So yeah, as mentioned, it it effectively tore reality a new one at the (laughs) North and South Pole and allowed a literal hell to descend into the Warhammer world. Um, Bringing with it the kind of four prime gods of chaos and their demonic legions to wash over the world. And what time is this now? Where are we in the timeline? 
you're looking at about uh, seven and a half thousand years before present in the game. But in many ways, this is the defining incident of the Warhammer lore because it introduces the other half of the setting, which are the kind of evil and corrupted races. Right. So it, it's very much the kind of apple in the Garden of Eden kind of idea. So are you saying that the orcs and the lizard men are not, they're not necessarily evil, they're just races? No. They're just races, yeah. They're just races, right. Okay. They're just orcs. <laughs> they don't give a shit about anyone except themselves. Has it been the case then that, you know, with this sudden surge of evil into the world, that there would be alliances built not only between humans and elves and dwarves, which I think is quite a common thing. You see it in World of Warcraft, you see it in Lord of the Rings, but would you also see alliances between human races and the orcs and, and lizardmen? Hmm... Certainly with lizard men, realistically, it was them that orchestrated the response against the collapse of the chaos gates. Orcs thrive on conflict. It's one of these bizarre kind of cultural idiosyncrasies within the setting that as orcs fight, they become physically bigger with some orc war bosses. These are the, the kind of generals and, and kings of their tribes can swell to be the size of ogres. It's very much conflict is bred into them. They don't care really who they're fighting, but the right. tougher the better. And the moment when the gates collapsed, the Chaos Demon Legions were the toughest guys around. So, you know... They so the orcs just... wanted a piece of that. They were like, bring it on. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> the orcs want a piece of everything. But you're saying that the lizard men orchestrated the, the response. So does that mean that there was a potential alliance between them and... You know, the humans or they just knew what was going to happen. They were like, look, we know we know how the orcs roll. Look, if we just dangle the carrot of conflict with a really, really tough enemy, they'll come gagging for it. So maybe they just managed the situation and didn't go, hey, orcs, do you fancy that? No, no, no. Let's just tempt them with some battle. Yeah, it's, it's very much the case. And it's spread throughout the kind of Warhammer setting that if you can point orcs at an enemy you don't have to worry about that enemy because properly prodded, the orcs will take care of it. Mm. Um, but obviously that's a double-edged sword because then they'll stop, turn around and take care of you mm. as well. But going back to my question, was there ever an allegiance between the lizard men and the human and dwarf and elf races? Yes, on a case-by-case -case basis. It's not a default. The lizard men aren't the good guys. They are simply enacting the great plan of the old ones. And if the elves get in the way or if humans get in the way of that plan, they'll wipe them out. There is a note that the elves on the island, on Uthu, and when they were first encountered, they were about to be completely wiped out until one of the slan or one of the old ones noted that they had elements of the great plan within them. But this is the thing, up until the point where the gates collapsed, the lizardmen wiped out probably most of the sentient life on the planet because it didn't reflect what the old ones wanted. Mm. So, you know, these are not good guys. Shit. They're like the caretakers, the, the stewards, but only to the will of the old ones, basically. Yeah, pretty much. And you were saying before that the elves and dwarves and humans, they already existed, but therefore they weren't in line with the old ones' plan, and so the lizard men were trying to wipe them out as well. They, they were planning to until it was noted by Slan or an old one that there was some good in having them exist or some benefit to the old ones to having them continue. 
Right, okay. So they flip-flop to that. Actually, we're all right with the dwarves, elves, and humans. We'll, we'll let them hang around. But the squid people of Desert Island can get fucked. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, I right. think we're all in yeah. agreement. They can probably do one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Brexit. <laughs> yeah. Squexit. <laughs> do rumors of the unclean keep you awake? Has a local farmer had a bumper crop and you haven't? Do you suspect a good wife has cursed your manhood? Has your newborn disappeared? Have seductive shapes danced at the periphery of your vision? Do the voices clawing at the edge of your mind entreat you to take action, to set right the futility of your own existence? Have you met with like-minded individuals in the shadowed ruins of our land? No memory of how you got there? Then why not drop into your local temple to discuss your concerns with our friendly and discreet priests, perhaps over a flag and a bale? The Temple of Sigmar. Everything is fine. So we now have arrived at a point where hell and demons are pouring in into the Warhammer world. Oh dear. Um, what a mess. And none of the civilizations that existed at that time had any idea how to deal with it. And it was only through coordination with lizard men and high elves mostly that they were able to do something about it. But I mean, we had 500 years of just instant death if you went too far north or too far south. You had the demon legions from the four gods who are Korn, the god of blood and warfare, Slanesh, the god of desire and excess. Ooh, ooh, I think I know one. Is there one called Steech or Leech or Creech? Yeah, there's... there's <laughs> I don't know this one. <laughs> Actually, it turns out I don't know this one. Laser. Laser. <laughs> Phaser. I, I, am, I am the god Screech. Oh! <laughs> um, no, there's one called Zinch. That's what I said. Zinch. <laughs> Is it though? Is it the, the changer of ways, god of magic? Okay, I don't know how I know that one, but I just remember that one. Okay, go right, on. Sorry, so, sorry. So there's Corn, Corn, Slanesh. Zinch, and then Nurgle, who's the god of despair and decay. Nurgle, the name Nurgle always makes me think of like what you used to do to me when I was a kid, Darren. You'd get me in a headlock and you'd just go, you'd give me a noogie. And you'd just rub yeah. your knuckles into the top of my head. Every time I think Sounds of Nurgle, like I think, the sound when you fart in the bath. Nurgle. <laughs> <laughs> Nurgle, Nurgle. Nurgle. I mean, Nurgle. by the sound, so Nurgle's the god of what? Of decay? He's and the god. God of disease and decay and despair. I mean, he probably digs, he probably digs people farting in the bath. Then, Chris, that's probably what he's named after. Mate. <laughs> uh, everyone can relate to that. Works at every level. Everyone. Oops, just did a little Nurgle. <laughs> <laughs> well, interestingly, the, the the smallest demon of Nurgle's legions are called Nurglings. <laughs> Cute. These are creatures about uh, a foot high that just are tiny, obese, disease-ridden, farting, shitting people. I can relate. <laughs> it's Chris. It's Chris. <laughs> Where can uh, I find these nurglets? 
Uh, finally, I'm not alone. So this is what it's like when doves cry. <laughs> uh, right. So looking at the impact, the the elves who did have outposts all over the world retreated back to Ulthuan, their Atlantean island. The dwarves retreated back into their holes down the um, the, the kind of world's edge mountain, the spine of the world. The humans, and to some extent the dwarfs, that bore the brunt of the kind of slaughter that happened. So very much the top and bottom third of the planet just became a hellscape of constant war and terror. And the dwarves just hid away in their in their mountainous domains, did they? They didn't want to yeah. help, but they weren't interested. That's going to cause some rifts a few in a, a few generations' bit. times, isn't it? They're going to be like, where were your forefathers when we were getting fucked up? <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how it's written in the book as well yeah <laughs> but it's interesting that the kind of northern reaches of the world's edge mountains where there was a lot of dwarf holes just became overrun with chaos and and it appears that the dwarves there were either corrupted by it or made a deal with the chaos gods and we had the invention of the chaos dwarves Ooh. who then who are pretty evil and spiteful as it comes. Jesus. Yeah, Where was their allegiance to the chaos gods or to the orcs or to no one? No, it's really to themselves. They did eventually throw in with a god called Hashut, but that's after Games Workshop reinvented the chaos dwarves as angry Babylonian midgets rather than mutated regular dwarves. Again, I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> What kind of deal would they possibly have made with the Chaos Gods? And surely they didn't do too well out of this deal because they were corrupted anyway. If you don't wipe out my entire clan, we'll bend the knee and help make stuff for you. But we want to retain the rights to use the name Chaos as our <laughs> IP. Fuck it, I'd take that deal. If it, was, if it was the difference between being wiped off the face of the planet and having to become a nurgling or whatever it was called... <laughs> I'd take that. I'd join Chris. Yeah, mum. It's all about survival, man. It's all about survival. survival. And speaking of survival, look at that for a segue. Hey. The lizard men, it appears they inspired the elves of Ulthuan to come up with a plan to, if not close the chaos gates, to drastically reduce the impact it had on the Warhammer world. And so Anarion, the king of the elves travelled to the Blighted Isle at the north end of uh, Ulthuin and pulled out the Sword of Cain, which is this kind of transforming weapon. But as soon as he did that, he damned his entire bloodline, but then presented the good, in quotes, races an opportunity to defeat chaos because demons were just simply running rampant all over the place. Um, so he sacrificed himself, his soul, and his bloodline for the betterment of, of the world. Yeah, very much a kind of less noble Arthurian legend. Yeah. Except he's never coming back because he fucked it. Got it. In what way was he damned? Did he die as soon as he took the sword? No. What it meant is that it allowed the absolute focus of violence that the elves are capable of into kind of the mainstream elven psyche. 
he and the, the kingdom within Ulthuin that he was from became corruptive, combative, avaricious, envious. It's effectively, it's the moment that the seeds of the dark elf race were planted. Um, so they were do-gooders beforehand. They could fight, but only in the name of good and light. But when he took yeah, up and, the sword, defense, kinda, yeah. Yeah, he, he absorbed all the sins and the the nasty side of life. This smacks of, or I should say this smacks, this may have come before, but like, again, having been a war, an avid Warcraft player for a lot of my life, a lot of the lore parallels. So you've got the cataclysm, you've got the dark portals, which are gateways to other realms. And then you've got the cursed kind of noble line, Arthas, Prince Arthas who's the son of the king of, of men, and he takes up this sword, Frostmorn, uh, with the view to defeat the Scourge, or the Chaos, if you like. Was this war? That was Warcraft 3, wasn't it? That was Warcraft 3, exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah, And he did it against better advice and better judgment of his allies, saying, you know, don't do this, this is a cursed sword, you'll damn yourself, and he did it anyway. And basically the sword like was just full of evil and just consumed him. And he ended up killing his own father, which was pretty sad. <laughs> and that sounds very do? similar to yeah. this. So the effect then of, um, sorry, what was the elf king called? Anarian. So the effect of Anarian picking up a uh, corn sword, cane <clears throat> sword. Cain, yeah, Cain's sword of Cain. So hold on, is Cain related to the blood god, Corn? Um, I'd say yes, insofar as Corn is referred to as the blood god, uh, or the, the god of skulls, uh, his purview is uh, violence in all its forms, right. um, regardless of whether it's evil or good uh, violence. And who is Cain? Cain is the elven god of murder. So an interesting thing to wade into is the cosmology of the Warhammer world. And perhaps we'll do that next, where we can have a look at which gods live where and how they're connected. Okay, so he picks up this sword, and that sword corrupts him. But are you saying that it damned, you say it damned his whole bloodline? Did it make all elves then turn from ultimately these kind of pure goody-goody beings into ones consumed by character defects like envy and, I don't know, lust. Well, I, I, I think that would be <laughs> a good... I think that would be a good... I think that would be a good summary of it. There's some evidence that the, the split between the three main elven races that exists now, there used to be more in the early days of Warhammer. You had people like the Sea Elves but the Dark Elves, High Elves, and Wood Elves, when the Chaos Gates opened or broke, that introduced uh, kind of very strong negative emotions in the kind of existential existence of all beings on the planet. So you had the High Elves were on their way to becoming the arrogant shitheads that they are. The Wood Elves are the isolationists. If I lock my borders and you all leave me the fuck alone, everyone will be fine. And the Dark Elves, then, it, it's just the uh, cruelty that superior beings can feel, mm. the, the entitlement, as it were. So there's some evidence that that had already begun, but the actual split in those had yet to happen. But I think it was accelerated by an Aryan pulling the the sword of Cain uh, free and certainly 
it impacted his family, the elven nations and the Warhammer world in general. Certainly it's one of those important impacts on the lore. So he's pulled the sword free and in consultation with his closest ally, came up with an idea of creating a, a magical vortex centered on the Isle of the Dead in the middle of the inner sea of Ulthuan. Oh yeah, um, I've been there. Oh, I mean, that was a great summer. <laughs> which would drain out all the, the kind of excessive chaos energy and return the world to as it was before the collapse of the gates. Where was he 5,000 years ago? I mean, Jesus. It's <laughs> quite a plan. <laughs> My gut feeling is, though, that this plan backfired somewhere. It was partially successful. Oh. It, it did successfully drain out the excessive chaotic energy at the cost of pretty much everyone who was involved being frozen in time on the Isle of the Dead, but it didn't close the chaos gates at the North and South Poles. So energy was still coming in, but siphoned out, you know, the bulk of it was being drained out. And while that, you know, undoubtedly saved the races that were there, it did mean that the forces of chaos and evil and demons and more importantly, the kind of blossoming of magicians around the world at that time caused problems, shall we say, for later civilizations. It's very kind of important to touch on that magic, while it did exist in a kind of refined form beforehand, really came into its own after the collapse of the Chaos Gates, because that's when the magical energy really washed over the world and we see the rise of all the kind of standard magical tropes uh, necromancy demonology all based on the eight winds of magic <laughs> nurgle <laughs> <laughs> so with the creation of the great vortex the warhammer world was effectively stabilized and remained largely the same for the next seven and a half thousand years up until what is considered present day. While there were cultural events that changed the face of some nations in terms of their geography, no event as large as the opening of the, the Chaos Gates impacted the Warhammer world as much as that. I think perhaps that's a good place to put a pin because that's really the prehistory of mm -hmm. the Warhammer world. And, and, and as we move forward, we can look at each culture in depth and go from when they rose after the great collapse of the gates or the impact of that collapse and how they then move forward. But I think that's a good place to stop today. Nice one. Awesome. Uh, Chris, do you, do you feel less ignorant? You don't look it. Oh, no. Good God, no. Uh, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> Okay, that's it for us for this week. Thanks very much for listening. If you want to find out anything more about the stuff we've been discussing in this episode, we will have all the references and info in the show notes. Uh, we'll be back next week displaying just how ignorant Chris and I are, and we look forward to hearing from you then. Bye. 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 Bye.